It's uh, an exciting time um, we're feeling at the start of this year. We, be- we began the year as a church. Many of you will have been involved in the 21 days of fasting and prayer and involved in different ways. And we kind of kicked off January with that. And uh, there's been a sense of God stirring something among us and through us and in us. And there's an anticipation of, of what, what's coming. Andrew spoke a couple of weeks ago, and he spoke about the sense of, of a new season, possibly like a new spring, a season of spring coming, and we're journeying towards it. And uh, we, we've been sort of trying to seek God as a leadership team to say, Lord, what do you want to say? Where do you want to lead us? Uh, and, and what would you do in us and through us? And part of our uh, leading has, has brought us to this uh, new, se- new series that we're starting today. We're calling it Called to Live As. And just as Hill said earlier, it's, it's looking at different dimensions of our relationship with, with God. And it's called to live as today, we're actually going to be looking at call to live as a child. Each of the weeks in Lent, we're going to have um, a sort of a different pairing. And today, we're having the pairing of a father and child, and we're going to unpack that. And there'll be different pairings through all of these Lent Sundays. And un, uh, often I would normally sort of find a passage in scripture and just spend time and sort of unpack it. But today, actually, what I would like to do is I want to look at three things in the Bible that will help us get this, this um, idea of, of father, child, and the relationship and how we connect and how we grow. And those three things are a word, a picture, and a scene. Okay, so we're going to dig into those three things as we go through this morning. I think I want to start with a word, and the word is Abba. We come across this word three times in the New Testament. First, we see it in Mark's gospel, when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's the night before, uh, it's the night he was arrested, the night before he's executed, before he's crucified. And he, he's got a pretty clear idea of what's about to happen. And he's, he's desperate, and he's anxious, and he's afraid. And in, and in Mark 14... He says this, he says this to his disciples, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And this is possibly the most extreme moment of his life. He goes on a little further from them and he falls to the ground in prayer and he prays this. He says, Abba, Father, take this cup from me. Well, that's the first time we see it in the New Testament, this, this word. The two other places we come across this word are in the writings of the Apostle Paul. And he is writing in Romans 8 and Galatians 4, and they're both very similar to each other. And he says this in Romans. Paul writes, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God, and by him, by, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. First it was Jesus crying it, but Paul is saying now, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. That's like he lets us know deep on the inside that we are God's children. So that was Romans 8. And then in Galatians 4, Paul writes, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. 
So this word, Abba, comes three times in the New Testament. I know when, often when we hear the word Abba, I know some of you will start thinking of a 1970s pop group, and uh, even if I say the name, Abba, the tunes just start emerging. Why don't you just lean to the person next to you and just quickly hum a tune? No, you want to. Hands up if you were doing Dancing Queen. That's the one that came to your head. It's lovely. Do you know why ABBA, the pop group in the 70s, called their name ABBA? It's got nothing to do with the Bible, by the way. Sorry about that. I was really hoping there'd be a connection. But Hills just went, yes. It's the, the first letter of the first name of each of them. Um, I think I looked it up. I can't even remember. Bjorn and Benji, they were the ones in the middle. Agatha and Annie Frid were, there we go, there we go. We've got ABBA fans all around. Now, ABBA was quite special, the, the band, but this word, ABBA, is even more special. It's an Aramaic word, and that was the language spoken in the first century Middle East. It was the language that Jesus himself spoke in his family with his friends, and it means father. Somehow, it holds together both the intimate and familiar with also the, a sense of reverence and honor and respect and, and even obedience. There's a sense of that as well in this world. Yes, a child would say Abba to his father, but also a, a student might address his teacher, his professor, his rabbi as Abba as well, holding together intimacy and respect. Do you know Abba is still a word taught, almost the first word taught in the Middle East in about four different countries as the first word a child learns. Um, not pronounced Abba, that's a very Western syllable pronounced emphasis on the first syllable, Abba, but they would say Abba, Abba. And actually it's taught almost as the first word in Syria, in Lebanon, in Palestine, and in Jordan. Those countries all speak Arabic these days, but they all used to speak Aramaic, which is what this word Abba comes from, and they still know it today. But this is the point. Jesus himself prayed it. He called out to God. He addressed God as Abba, Abba, Father. And it captures, describes this beautiful intimacy of relationship. He knows his father and he is known by his father. And so this word, Abba, just captures that sense of intimacy. There's closeness, there's security, there's, there's a real sense of trust. He knows the one he's addressing. And then Paul, in the, those two other verses we looked at, he's writing to the early church. He's explaining to them that when someone becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in their heart, and that enables them to know God as Father, to address God as Father. It enables us to use that. So there's that word, Abba, Abba. It's a promise that we can know God as Father. Um, however, I'm very conscious, that we're very conscious, that the word Father often has tough connotations for lots and lots of people. There might be some of you thinking, hang on a minute, I've had one Father and he was a nightmare, and the last thing I want is another Father. I should probably give a quick shout out to my dad online just at this moment, hey dad, just thinking of you. Actually no, dad was uh, a great dad for me, but we get it, for many, dads haven't been good. For many, there's been huge amounts of pain. Some dads in this room, looking at the number of people here, there will be some whose, whose dads wrestled with drink 
all their lives. There'll be some dads that you had that were violent, some maybe silent. Some of the dads that you've had may have been absent, either through, through work or tragically through early death. Or if they weren't absent physically, some of you have experienced a dad who was just absent emotionally for many years of your life. Others in the room will have had stunning dads, wonderful dads. And there are plenty of us who are trying to be good dads with so many mistakes along the way. But you know what's interesting? Whatever your personal experience of your father was like, good or bad, I think it's almost a universal sense that we know what a good father should be like. And if you were unfortunate enough not to have that personal experience, you kind of know what you missed. And you're like, a good father should have been here, should have said this, should have been like this. And if you were blessed enough to have a father who was some of those things, you'd be like, I'm so grateful for this. But we all somehow know what a good father really is. But anyway, to avoid all doubt, Jesus uses two words when he teaches us to pray. He teaches us to pray with the Lord's Prayer. His disciples actually said, teach us to pray. And he said, when you pray, say this, our Father in heaven. (laughs) And so just to avoid all doubt, he is being clear that, that God the Father is so much different even to the very best of human fathers. He is always available. He's always good. He's always full of love, always trustworthy, always reliable. So the question we're looking at this morning, we're called to live, how are we called to live as a child with a father? And I think it starts with the word Abba, Abba, Father. Okay, the second thing is a picture, a word. A picture. Now, the good news is a picture paints a thousand words, so this bit will be a bit, uh, a bit shorter. There's a, a story in the New Testament that is uh, picked up in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's the story of Jesus and the little children. Many of you will be familiar with it. The scene is this. Jesus is teaching. Uh, One of the many times he is teaching, he's probably surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands of people. There is bustle and busyness and noise, and he's teaching. And a number of little children are being ushered to him by their parents and carers so that Jesus, this well-known rabbi, might place a hand on them and bless them. But the disciples are like, come on, what's going on? Get these kids away. You know, children have be seen and not heard. That's kind of how I grew up for a while. But that was, that was what they were thinking. And we've got this very important rabbi teaching us very important adults, get away. Anyway, so the, the disciples try to get them away. And Jesus, it says in Mark's gospel, was indignant. And he told the disciples off. And he called the children to him. And then he says this to the crowd. He says this. If anyone, sorry, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And then the story moves on. And the writers of the three Gospels, they didn't start talking about some different teaching, some different moment. And and literally, 
it's just three verses in Matthew's gospel. It's four in Mark. It's three in Luke. This tiny, tiny story is there. But it's become such a well-known story. It's one of the most famous. I, I think the fact that it's so short is one of its strengths. It, it actually causes us to think. It prompts us to reflect. It prompts us to ask, what's going on? Why is it there? And what is it that these children have got or do or something about them that I might need to learn from, especially as how I might relate to God? So much is left to our imagination in this story, and I think that's the point. This story has inspired uh, loads and loads of famous art and fine art over centuries. And I wanted to show you uh, some of that, but quite a lot of the art from centuries back seems to paint all the children as naked, and that was a little bit unusual. Um, and there's even one that's had a woman in the picture who was partly undressed, and it wasn't a breastfeeding moment, so I wasn't going to show you that one either. But I have chosen this piece of art from Fergal von Fergelstein. I just love the name. Isn't that a great name? Fergal von Fergelstein. Nice to meet you. Um, and there is something about this piece of art that I absolutely love. He was a German painter in the 1800s. Okay, now, for a moment, try to get past the blonde hair and blue eyes. They're, they're not exactly representative children from the Middle East first century, are they? Okay, maybe fairness to Fergelstein, perhaps he was saying this same Jesus who was there is also the Jesus for 18th, uh, 19th century Germany. Maybe he was saying that in his art. I don't want to criticize too much. And the other thing perhaps is, is maybe don't get too distracted by what Jesus is doing with his arms in, in this picture. I was like, is he signaling a six uh, or wide? Uh, I, I don't know. But then when I was being less silly, I wondered whether Fergelstein was also pointing to a future time in Jesus' life where his arms might be outstretched. So I don't know about that one. But what I would love you to look at, and we'll go a bit closer in onto the next image, and I think Fergal does something extraordinary in capturing the children. Take a closer look. Have a look at the little girl who is just simply fixing her eyes on his face. There may be some of us in the room who today, this is what we need to do. There might be a whole storm going on in your personal life, but actually today, maybe we need to be that child and just fix our eyes on his face. Can you see the boy at the front? He, he's clasping onto the legs of, of Jesus, kneeling at his feet. I mean, maybe he's, he's saying, I will not let go. Maybe he's saying, do you see me? I'm here. There's a sense of possible desperation there. Can you see the child burying his head in Jesus' lap? I wonder what's going on there. Perhaps that child is, is weeping or, or just so frustrated. You know how a child can be? You know, you know how an adult can get? Just so frustrated, maybe sick, maybe simply exhausted. Whatever it is, there's, there's something, there's, there's emotion. And he's in absolutely the right place. And there's the one who's just sitting very peacefully 
on his lap, completely content, knowing they're loved, knowing they belong, knowing they're safe. It's interesting, remember Jesus uh, said to his disciples at another time, he, he said, I and the Father are one. Thomas actually said to him at one point, Lord, show us the Father. And he said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. There, there is something about how a child is relating to Jesus here. There's something about how a child is that we can learn from. Just gaze at that image just for a moment more. I wonder which child you might be. Or if there's a child not yet drawn. How would you draw yourself in this moment? How's the Father calling you to himself today? To come and rest? To come and cry? To come and know that you belong? We, uh, at the end, we, we nearly always, if you've been coming to us for any length of time, you'll know that this space at the front of our church is a space where, where we often come forward from wherever we're sitting and we just want to take a step towards God in some way. Often people pray for us, but sometimes it's more about just saying, Lord, I know I need you. And so quite often we, we come up and some kneel and some stand and some just come up and worship and there's prayer. But it's, there's almost something helpful in the physical, Lord, I need you. And, and, and if there's something going on here today, with, with any, is God saying something to you today? Maybe a response for you might be, I'm going to come. Lord, I, I need to be this child. I'm in this situation. Would you meet me today? So we're looking at how we are called to live as a child, and it starts with the word Abba, Abba, Father. And we can learn from a picture, but I want to end with a scene. It's a famous scene. It was a scene actually that Heli spoke on three weeks ago. We had a glorious baptism Sunday morning, and, and Heli spoke. And it's from Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. And many of you, I know, will be familiar with it. It's the story Jesus told to help us understand the father's love. And basically the story goes, uh, there's a father who has two sons and the younger son comes to him one day and says, uh, he kind of says, dad, I'm done. I'm done with you. I'm done with this. Give me my inheritance now. I don't want to live here anymore. I don't want to live with you anymore. I just want to go and do life my way. So that's basically the synopsis of how the, the story starts. Many of us, in some ways, have maybe done something similar at one stage in our life. We've just been like, I want to do life my way. And we've, we've had an attempt at that. For some reason in the story, the father agrees, and it's all in Luke 15, and I know some of you will know it. The boy goes off, it says, to a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Luke chapter 15. We have no idea how long he was away, squandering his wealth, maybe years. We don't know what age he was when he left, possibly a teenager, a late teenager, but maybe now he's early 20s or something. No doubt he had friends, no doubt he had a lot of fun, but uh, 
Eventually those funds of his ran out, his wealth ran out, and his friends did too. And he ends up with a job feeding pigs. It says in in Luke, he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Remember, this is a Jewish boy in a Jewish culture, uh, and pigs, well, not only are they often filthy physically, but also to the Jewish people culturally, they were particularly uh, filthy animals. And this boy, this young man, has hit rock bottom. He's starving, he's depressed, he's alone, he's filthy. And eventually, the Bible says, Jesus says, he comes to his senses and decides to go home. I want to pick it up at verse 20 and just read a couple of paragraphs. So Luke 15, verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him, and kissed him. The son then tries to give the pre-prepared apology, but the father cuts him off and says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it, let's have a feast and celebrate, this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and now is found. This was a parable. The parable was a a story that Jesus told to make us think and to help us understand truth. And we could spend weeks on this one parable. There's so much richness in there to pick it out, to to unpack from it. But basically, the younger son is a picture of us, of many of us, who've turned our backs on God and, and gone off to live life our own way, our own lives. And the father in the picture is, of course, a picture of God the Father. Do you know, quite a bit of this story would have horrified, even scandalized the first century listeners. Those first listeners hearing Jesus would have been like, what are you talking about? Because some of it was so unnatural. You've you've got this this, uh, father, this respected man, clearly a landowner, has servants. Surely he wouldn't have behaved like this. What sensible father would have given his son his inheritance on demand? Seriously, which one? But Jesus makes the point because this is exactly what God has done for us. He's given us that same freedom that we can choose to be with him or to walk away and live our lives without him. That's why Jesus has said it. A first century man would never run. That's uh, quite well, well known. This cultural taboo. It was, it was so undignified at the time. But Jesus is making the point that God the Father is so longing for us that he will race to meet us the, mo- the moment we start approaching him and coming back. The listeners were probably waiting to see how the apology played out, what the consequences would be, what maybe the retribution would be. I mean, after all, this son had turned his back on the father, on his family. He had shamed them quite publicly. But with the embrace and the kiss and the robe and the ring and the sandals, Jesus is showing us that the father's acceptance is immediate and full. I reckon 
today, there's, there's a few in this room who are probably in that place where they have started coming back to the Father. And they're, they're just tentatively on that journey. And, and I believe that the Father wants, he's looking, he's waiting, he's watching, he's longing, and he sees you. And the moment he sees you, he's gonna run towards you. He's longing for you to come back. You're invited to know him as Abba. We're invited to be those children from that picture, as they were with Jesus, that we can be with the Father.